0: They have committed themselves to that over there, but somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly, somewhere I read of the freedom of speech, somewhere I read of the freedom of press, somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to protest for rights. So that's as I say, we aren't going to let any dogs or water hoses turn us around. We aren't going to let any injunction turn us around. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. And I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land.
2: Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, we conclude our series of transparency and the art of discretion, and the abuse of that discretion in our criminal justice system. It's been a long series, but one that needed to be spoken about. We're going to finish that up today, not only about the discrepancies and disparities in our criminal justice system, but within county jails when those that are even arrested there's unequal justice applied to their situations as well we're going to deal with all of that doing this show tonight on AJC radio folks hang on to your seats we take off
3: right now Okay, and there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with
2: Demetrius Harper, Kendrick Barnes, Dave Zapolo, Samson Riddle, William Williams, Clint Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and David Banks. All of us, including with our AJC radio team tonight, are ready to set off this conversation regarding discretion. And it has been, again, an extended series that, again, has so much to do with our system today. And it goes to mass incarceration. It goes to false and wrongful convictions. It goes to all of those things. Uh, and we're, we're going to deal with all of those topics tonight. We're excited to be here to finish this discussion and uh, move on to the other issues that may be uh, uh, really affecting our criminal justice system in a very big way as well. Feel free to dial in tonight to 646-200-0628, 646 200 to a and we'd like to wish a, a very happy birthday to two of our uh, folks here in the studio tonight our co- uh, co- co-host uh, Samson riddle happy birthday to you bianca Stevenson happy birthday to her as well uh, and we're glad that uh, you guys are safe and doing well Samson I'll kick it off with you uh, in regards to this discussion discretion uh, we've seen a lot of abuse in the last few weeks during this series uh, where are you at on it
4: well, I mean, the the fact of the matter is is we've hit a lot of really hard points over the last few weeks, and the more that this goes unregulated, the more power we give to those that have this discretion, uh, the worse off our, our criminal justice system is going to be, the worse off those that are have to go through this whole process, the worse they're going to be. It's, not, it's already degraded to the point of where this is not a system of rehabilitation and reintegration into the populace, but it's rather one of, you know, Basically, the the perverse nature of the personnel that are in power, in order to like, assert their will over those that are incarcerated. And the fact of the matter is, is like as long as they have that brevity to do so, like we're not going to see, again, the rehabilitation that we want to see those that are incarcerated, whether you know rightfully or wrongfully. So, I mean, one of the the key things that we talked about, one of the key cases that came to my mind was the the sergeant, the army sergeant that willfully surrendered himself. That hey, I got in trouble. I'm gonna willfully surrender myself to serve my two days, and to do my time, do what's right, and then I'll be free to go. And they murdered this man inside of a county lockup. Wouldn't let him even get a, a Dixie cup full of water because of some crooked guard's discretion. The man didn't even ha- like he could have hit out on base, and they ha- they would have had to go to his chain of command in order to make him, you know, actually come and serve his time. Rather than that, he did the, the right thing as a proper citizen said, hey, I did wrong. I'm going to go fast up to it. I'm going to do my time, and then I'm going to get to leave. He left in a body bag. That – and there's, nu- there's numerous other cases that we've talked about over the last several weeks, and as long as discretion is, ra- is allowed to rule in a court of law rather than a, a, at least a structured set of guidelines and framework, like we'll never have true justice.
2: No, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And uh, look, uh, we we just touched on that briefly last week. I believe we're going to get to clip play tonight uh, in what he suffered and all of those. Again, uh, we hear our courts, our politicians talking about honoring the Constitution, honoring the Constitution. Well, the Constitution says the presumption of innocence goes with any defendant, any person that's been accused or even charged with a crime. The presumption of innocence until that is concluded is supposed to be with the defendant. So how in the world does anybody die in county
5: jail? That's unacceptable. How do, how do they die? We talked last week about Sandra Bland. How does she die because she changed lanes
2: uh, after going to an interview for, for a brand new job uh, that she was getting ready to start a few days from then? But you want us to believe as the public that this young lady just simply went in a jail cell on a minor traffic infraction and hung herself. I'm sorry. I don't buy it. It doesn't add up in any way. It does not add up. Um, If we're going to get into all of that, folks, this is going to be a very informative show tonight. Uh, But these are the things that are troubling in our system. And I said a long time ago, the the train left the station. Here's the goal the presumption of innocence uh, as far as that goes. Dave, you have a thought?
6: Well, when you see everything that the police, the prosecutors do, it gets to be too much. I mean, you have uh, one of the incidents that happened this year reminds me of Sandra Bland. This woman in Virginia was driving down the road at night, and her lights were off. She didn't even realize her lights were off because it was well lit. A cop pulled her over pulled her out of the car. She was black, obviously. It is actually not legal for the police to pull somebody over for not having their lights on. When he couldn't find anything wrong, he arrested her for saying that she was uh, drunk. It was a DUI. When they tested her, her uh, alcohol level came back at zero. She worked for the State Department. She almost lost her job because she had a security clearance and got arrested. And when you see that, This was a discretionary
2: pullover
7: that he shouldn't have even been able to do.
2: No, you no exactly right. Discretion, discretion, discretion. Whenever you have discretion in the law, somebody is going to be the victim of injustice automatically. I can come into a courtroom as an African-American and believe automatically, and I'm going to share that story on the other side of this break, and believe automatically, because I'm in the
5: defendant's chair, I am guilty. Not one shred of evidence. Not one person's testimony. Nothing on the table. But because I am picking a jury, and I'm at the defendant's table, I must be guilty of something. We
2: have a big problem. We're going to conclude again this series tonight. And I'll tell you what, folks, you want to get in on the conversation, Six four six two hundred. We do understand a lot of our listeners are listening online, but you can feel free to dial in if you need to as well. Uh, This is AJC Radio. Transparency, the abuse of discretion, out of control in America. We'll be right back. For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now, add a wrongful conviction to that, life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or at the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with, especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today, 1-855-529-4252. We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room, to make them feel safe not because dad or mom did anything wrong because justice could not be found join us for the children for they truly are
8: our future
9: in the fabric of America
8: they are the toughest threads one of the first things they learned was the code that every service member lives by Leave no one behind. Now all of us need to live by it too, because some veterans are being left behind. Twenty of them take their own lives every day. Learn how to be there for a veteran at BeThereForVeterans.com.
10: Honor the code. Be there. Leave no one behind. There are no loose ends in TV procedural dramas. At the end of the hour, the bad guy always gets what's coming to him. Unfortunately, the real world is a lot more complicated. We know from the work of the Innocence Project and other organizations in the Innocence Network that the system doesn't always get it right. According to the National Registry of Exonerations, since 1989, nearly 2,000 people have been exonerated of crimes they didn't commit. What people don't realize is a good number of those people pleaded guilty to crimes even though they were innocent. In fact, in nearly 10% of the nation's DNA exonerations, people pleaded guilty to serious crimes and agreed to serve significant prison time because the system is stacked against them, especially they are poor and people of color. That's right. The stakes are so high that we have innocent men and women agreeing to serve long prison sentences. A system that puts that much pressure on people to plead guilty is a problem. Visit guiltypleadproblem.org to learn more about the men and women who are pressured into pleading guilty to crimes they didn't commit. And join us In demanding that our elected officials do something to protect the innocent people who get caught up in a broken criminal justice system. Thank you. I don't have to tell
3: you about the challenges we face every day. That would be like preaching to the choir. Today you have a chance to face the challenge of your risk for diabetes. My dad had diabetes, and one in four U.S. adults are at risk, myself included. If you're older than 45 or African American, that risk increases. So here's a chance to ask yourself, what can I do? Talk to your doctor about getting screened and know what your options
11: are.
12: Learn more at askscreenknow.com.
11: Good morning, students, and welcome to Career Day. I hope you're excited to hear about all the great things you can do when you grow up. Hi,
1: everyone. I'm Emily. I'm super excited to introduce my dad because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a whale lot. But I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work, driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest year I know.
10: prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission. Odds of becoming an astronaut, 1 in 13,200,000. Odds of being struck by lightning, 1 in 576,000. Odds of dating a supermodel, 1 in 88,000. Odds of bowling a perfect game, 1 in 11,500. Odds of being trapped in an elevator. 1 in 24,528. Odds of catching a ball at a major league game. 1 in 563. Odds of an injury from shaving. 1 in 6,585. Odds of tripping while texting. 1 in 10. Odds of getting cancer in your lifetime. 1 in 2 men. 1 in 3 women. It's up to us to change the odds
12: for our generation,
6: for the ones we love, for our future.
11: If you don't like the odds, stand up. Stand up to cancer.
10: You're on your way to meet up with friends, but you can't seem to get anywhere quickly. You don't want your friends to be annoyed, so you text. You're on your way. Five seconds is the average time your eyes are off the road while texting while driving. Make sure you get where you're going.
2: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we conclude our series on transparency and the abuse of discretion uh, that's going on in the system, uh, the criminal justice system right now. Uh, We were talking uh, right before the break. Last week, we brought up a topic uh, regarding uh, Billy Anderson, her son, Michael Anderson, who uh, with, with all signs point to was murdered. Uh, by prison guards in, in Florence, Colorado. Uh, the prison camp out there, uh, his life was taken. Uh, we took up the calls with this lady, uh, reached out uh, to us, and, and she, not having a lot of resources, not a lot to go on, has suffered tremendous pain, her and her family, uh, as a result of the abuse of discretion and the, really the taking of a life uh by inmate michael anderson who was scheduled i believe to get out uh of prison i think in about a two-year period kenrick you actually uh knew mr anderson uh highly unlikely uh and here's what people don't understand and i think what they do they prey upon the ignorance and the lack of knowledge that people have of what goes on behind the wall in the system uh when you are in in the hole they call it the shoe Um, you're not interacting with anybody. You're in your cell by yourself. There's supposed to be periodic walking, I believe every 30 minutes that's going by walking, looking in these cells. Uh, And some cells actually have cameras uh, in them where if there's any type of harm uh, that could come to this young man. Uh, This man told his mother he was scared to death that somebody was going to hurt him. The guards would laugh and make fun and mock and say he was going to get shanked and shank simply meaning stabbed with some type of instrument. Uh, that's prison language. But Kendrick, you, you knew Mr. Anderson. Um, how unlikely is it that this man took his life, which we, again, the the coroner contacted the mother, Billy Anderson said, get an attorney. Uh, your son did not, this was not a suicide. It was a homicide. Uh, Tell us a little about Michael Anderson, Kenneth, real well, quick. Well, from what I knew about Michael
13: Anderson, I mean, this guy was not suicidal. When you're suicidal, you don't tell your wife to move to this local city from Wyoming so that he could basically see his wife and have visits regularly, you know? So he wasn't a person planning to end his life. He had two years left. So this is – you could see – he could see the light at the end of the tunnel. This was not a person who thought he lost all hope and – I'm losing uh, my family. His wife wasn't leaving him or anything like that. He had children. He had family. But he, I do know he was, he was deathly afraid of the administration at that uh, prison camp in Florence. I mean he knew, he knew something was wrong, and he said they were pressuring him to try to be like a, uh, an informant uh, to some of the uh, illegal activities going on in the prison. Well, he was like, "No, I don't want to get involved with any of that. I don't want to be an informant because I'm not involved with stuff." But it, they pressured him to where he had enough uh, fear to 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 believe something could happen to him in that camp. And rightly so, he ends up dead. So it's it's very it's very scary that you can be sent to a place inside of a federal institution. And no one can contact you. I mean, once you get go into the uh, the shoe, it's a black box. You don't know what's happening there. You don't know if this person has been shipped to another facility. You don't know uh, if he's alive, well, coming out. His family doesn't know most of the time, which is sad. The family tries to find information out from other inmates because the uh, facility will tell you nothing. Or lie. To you. Yeah, or they'll just straight up lie to you, and tell you what happened to him. But it's just, it's just uh, a a a bad institution where there's no checks that people can't just come up and say, hey, we would like to see about this individual or even have the press to come in and say, hey, we would like to just see how you run things. It's just it's just sad that they have this complete ability to just be a black box to the rest of the world.
2: Well, it's a, it's, it's definitely a black box. I read an article uh, uh, regarding Florence, Colorado, where people were taken to a undisclosed location and tortured. Uh strapped down to a bed, and one guy lived to tell about it. Are uh, you guys familiar with that with that room, any of the RP5? It's possible that that
6: room is one of the uh, stainless steel cells at the ADX. When I was working at the ADX as a slave, uh, I went into every single cell at the ADX when they were redoing the ADX, even with the whole range empty, they wouldn't even
14: let us see those cells. Mm. Let, me, uh, let me comment. Uh, the weld shop at the camp uh, creates those torture implements. Chambers, yes. Yeah. So uh, we saw the cages that they construct for the uh, special management unit uh, for the maximum security. It's actually a cage inside yourself, uh, then we saw a it had to be about three inches thick of steel, and it looked like a, it looked like a table that would hold the body of a man with with, with hoops for chains and, but it was solid steel and it, and it really put you in the mind of are they intending to put somebody lay somebody out on this thing and strap them down yep. i mean it was it was the size. Like a door but framed for a body. And so you know, as a worker working in the powerhouse, we'd come through here and see the, the guys cutting steel and welding these uh, – and i say, what is that? Oh, this is going to the ADX. i what are they going to do with it? This is what they put well, – lay bodies on, put people on to torture them. Well, I read,
2: it, I read the story. It was an article of a gentleman. Um, his name escapes me. Um, He survived it, but he told about it, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and he talked about the torture, the, the mental anguish that people are not aware of that going to prison brings all by itself, and to have people not held accountable, and to pick and choose inmates who they want to do these things to, It's criminal. It is criminal. Um, It's disheartening because somebody has loved ones behind the wall in this country. A huge number of people. Somebody has a brother, a sister, a mom, a dad. I am alarmed. I remember when David Banks was snatched up, taken from population, just because, was protesting for the release of these men. David, tell a little bit about what happened to you. Let me explain why it is so troubling. You get word that your loved one has not called today. Why not? Because they took him to the hole, which could be a an attempt to take his life and that of David Banks. And the just cause protested harder. David, they, they took you without cause in a moment. And they were deceptive in how they did it. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. The, the, the abuse of discretion here regarding you, a model inmate, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, that did
15: nothing wrong. Tell us what happened. Well, they claim uh, in the prison system, uh, you try to stay out of the way. You really don't want to give these people any ability to exercise any form of discretion because of they will not only abuse their power. They'll abuse their discretion. Uh, in the process uh, to abuse that power. Uh, I was on the phone with my mom and uh, a third party was listening in on the other line, a member of my family. And they were commenting to my conversation with my mom uh, on a separate line. On a separate line, yeah. Yep. So they're, they're, my mom's talking to one person on one line. I'm talking to her on the other line, and we're and my uh, mom's having a conversation. Well, uh, other family members listening in, commenting to my mom. <laughs> they accuse me of making a three way call, which, in essence, uh, if you know, is not even an offense that would get you taken right. to the hole where you typically need need your protection, or you've done something. What they call a series one hundred, a one hundred series infraction or a two hundred series infraction. If there actually had have been a three way call, it would have been a three hundred series infraction, and nothing really happens. If uh, they'll maybe take some commissary or something some privilege. like that, yeah, some privilege, but that's typically what to the extent. <laughs> but they decided they were going to take me to the hole and and part of the reason because I tr- always tried to defend myself and defend what was right um that doesn't always sit well with uh the administration uh they feel like just because you t- you're trying to hold them to policy uh or this is against policy well even if it is against policy uh what we've learned their view is well uh, we're going to do what we want, whether it's uh, according to policy or against policy, if you say something about it, uh, uh, we're going to make you pay. And so I get a call to uh, go over, it's weird, not, not really weird, but he says, go over and see the captain. He wants to talk to you. Well, no, typically if you have to go see the captain, it could be you're going to get locked up. Uh, in the shoe. So, again, it was something uh, that was unjustified, was inconsistent with policy, but because they wanted to put the screws to you, um, they'll throw you in the hole and, and just let you sit over there. And then it really happens. You don't know how long you're going to be there. You're just in there. Um, so, and like you said, it is it is uh, somewhat of a black box. Officers walk through every now and then. Uh, half the time you ask them, a, you you knock on the door to ask them a question, they just keep right on walking. And again, your family, do not they really don't know what happened to you. They don't know uh, what reason you're in there. They know nothing. So, that black, that black box is closed, and nobody can get information. Uh, thankfully, the just cause was out there protesting, trying to find out where because like you said, you just never know what's going to happen when they take you over. Uh, Michael Anderson uh, went, to the, it, went to the same holding area. yeah, same, same shoe, same uh, hole. <clears throat> and but prison is a predatory environment. And if you're, if you, uh, uh, obviously I didn't live in a, in a state of fear, but if, if you show fear, uh, not only the inmates, but the guards themselves are predatory in many cases. And just like said, they'll laugh at you. Like, uh, uh, you're soft and all this other type of stuff. So you have to, uh, if you are a weak person, those predators in there, including the staff, uh, will, will do stuff that, that, that is just uh, – just they'll do horrible
2: things to you. And this, is, this is, what is, is what all the last three weeks on this show has been about, the abuse of power, right. ultimately the abuse of discretion. Those that have discretion have power. Because they can pick and choose what they want to do, who they want to do it to, and there's no accountability for it. In this particular case, uh, Billy Anderson lost a son. Billy Anderson lost a grandson who could not deal. This is the seriousness of it. We don't hear about this stuff. A Just Cause as an advocacy organization hears about it. They tried to cover up the killing of an inmate. That was if you're doing if you got about one to
3: two years to leave prison,
2: those are the best times for you. They call it short timing. You're almost home, man. You're doing so many with so many wake ups and you're out. He talked about his life with his son what he looks forward to. They took this man's life as an abuse of discretion. Not one person at that penitentiary was held accountable for the death of Michael Anderson. Where a coroner had to say, get an attorney. Because this was not suicide. The... when people go unaccountable in their actions and you're given absolute power to destroy lives. Somebody's mother, I get calls and letters all the time. Can you help me find my loved one? He hasn't called in 30 days. For two months, I haven't heard anything. The jail, the prison will not tell me nothing.
14: This is an abuse of power.
15: When does it stop? You know what's another sad reality is if you listen to some of the commentary, um, public commentary sometimes, you hear, Well they're in prison, they they get whatever they deserve and that and that, that right there is a sad, sad commentary by members of our society and it it it's a part of the stigma in the United States that y- if you broke a law you get what's ever coming you nobody really cares about people in prison except if you're a family unless you're family members in there the rest of them you are a forgotten uh, group nobody cares um, and that's that's the sad reality society really doesn't care that's why the mass incarceration and the lock them up mentality, uh, maintain, get them off the street, incarcerate them. Uh, But we understand that for violent crime. But this stuff goes far beyond any sort of violent crime. Michael Anderson was not in prison for a violent crime. No, he wasn't. And he ended up dying. So at the end of the day, um, the way... The United States views prison, crime, and punishment. Until that changes, uh, and that's going to that's going to take some doing to actually change that. Until that changes, you're going to continue to uh, they'll continue to allow and enable correctional officers uh, to just kill people. To kill people. And 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 one final note: you hear the same type of mentality when a cop kills somebody on the street. Well, why don't he just? obey. He should have obeyed as if, if he had obeyed, he wouldn't be dead right now. Well, it just, it doesn't matter. Uh, police are there to deal with people who are not necessarily going to abide by the rules. Well, so you're going to kill them because they didn't abide by the rules. That's why you're there is is to, is to pick them up and, and to deal with them in a way that's still humane. But You don't have a license to kill people because, well, they they should have obeyed the police and he wouldn't be dead. I've heard that numerous times on television.
2: Belendo Castillo. Castillo, yes. He complied. He complied with the officer's order. That's right. But he didn't stop there. He complied with the rules and the protocols attached for open carry, which is if you come in contact with law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Your job is to alert the officer that I have a weapon, but I'm I'm licensed to carry it. He did everything he was supposed to do. They killed him, executed this man in front of his three-year-old daughter. Don't tell me if you comply. It's not about even complying because you still die. So how do you tell a person, well, just do what the officer said. Guys have their hands up. They're taking their their hands are out of the car. Said, man, George Floyd begged for his life. Yes. Before he ever hit the ground, he said, please, man, please don't kill me. Sitting in the front of his car man, please do not kill me he slaughtered this man and killed him do you understand the system in which we live this is a sick system and the discretion of an officer to not be checked to not be accountable Not all officers. All our officers are not bad. we talking about the ones that proven to be bad.
16: Discretion. Lamont, what are you going to do? Lamont, you have a great point in regards to, it comes down to power. Someone says, I have discretion over your life. Therefore, I have your life in my hands. This was the mentality. We saw it in the the, the camp there. Uh, even with uh, David's story with discretion, I'd made a three-way call, and I got a 300-series shot. So for what they, they – David was in target, and when I went into the case manager and said, hey, I have my shot right here, I didn't go to the hole. So again, all these administrators have power to know who can go to the hole? Who's in solitary? Who's going to be convicted in a courtroom? The cop, as David mentioned, I can take your life. Why? Because I have discretion. I have power over you. And unfortunately, what those cases that you just mentioned, Lamont, these officers, not all officers, as you said, are, are bad, but the officers that have predis- uh, uh, racist or uh, prejudiced tendencies, they feel that they're going to exercise, be judged, jury, and executioner on that stop Sandra Bland or uh, or Philanis Castile and shoot or take a man or woman's life because they feel I have the power. Therefore, I just dis- might use my discretion to take
12: a life. We're going to deal with that. William, you had a thought. Yeah, so I, I, you know, as you were talking, that is the only profession that I've seen I, that I can think of off the top of my head. You can become judge, jury, and executioner in a moment and get off of it. I mean, get totally off of it. I mean, you get away from it. I'm not saying that correctly. Get away with it. I apologize. The thing is, is that until we see that, there's no accountability. I mean, prime example, George Floyd, Derek Chauvin was charged, had the same charges as Yanez was in the Philando Castillo case. Both police officers had the same charges. Yanez got off Philando um, – excuse me. In the Philando Castillo case, that officer got off. In the George Floyd case, they were charged. Now, you think about it. If it wasn't for the polarizing nature of the George Floyd case, the video, nine minutes of, of watching that, you can, I mean, I, I was just replying on social media today. If it wasn't for the cell phones, it would be killed while resisting arrest. It would be the same thing over and over again. And even as you were talking, these officers have such discretion. You know, Freddie Gray was in custody, was in custody. Six officers does not make it. And this was in Baltimore. And you think this man died while in custody. I think, you know, and it's like these police officers, they, it's the same thing over and over again. And we've been listening to this for years, for years. And they get away with this stuff.
2: Well, it goes all the way back to the Rodney King era. Uh, All the way back. True. True. and we're going to address it here on AJC Radio. That's what we're supposed to do. Discretion, on the other side of the break, we're going to show you two officers that used discretion. But it was the positive discretion. And they saved lives as a result of it. And our heroes that honor the badge moment, right after this. This is AJC Radio.
11: equality. I stand for individuality. I stand for peace. I stand for diversity.
3: I stand for dignity.
11: I stand for respect. I stand for fairness.
4: After this, a 75-year-old man convicted of murder waiting for his trial to finally go through. He's been on death row for 25 years now and finds out he's been wrongfully convicted and is completely innocent. Not only does this mean that 25 years of his life have been spent in jail for no reason, but that the actual murderer could still be out there right now. The bad thing is that this exact thing happens more often than you think, but you can help stop it by supporting our campaign to abolish the death penalty. We have a big problem.
3: There
10: was a shooting more When
9: news and headlines following an act of gun
14: violence fade away, who's left? The families. the families.
18: Gun violence is real. It affects more people than you would ever imagine. Losing a family
19: member is one of the worst things that anyone can ever go through. This is something that's often forgotten, like what happens to the people after the incident.
18: Although our country struggles to agree on a long term solution to gun violence. We can all agree on one thing.
12: Any family suffering a loss as a result of gun violence
18: needs our support. Focus needs to shift to the human being. These continue to happen, and more people have joined the club that we didn't ask to be a part of.
14: There's families that are not getting the help that they need.
18: It seems like there's nobody really rallying around the people who have experienced the hardship that we have.
14: So many families in need, and I can really empathize with that. They need our love.
18: Compassion and
14: hope. Life for these families may not get any
4: easier.
18: Their lives are never going to be the same. Ever.
4: But with the support of others,
18: they will get stronger.
7: We can help. The Christina Grimmy Foundation, building a legacy of hope and inspiration.
2: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we are dealing with transparency as we conclude our series on the abuse of discretion within the criminal justice system. Prior to the break, we were discussing those that have abused that discretion. And it brings a lot of emotions because of the tragedies and the loss of life that have happened as a result of that abuse. Right now, we turn the page to our Honoring Heroes That Honor the Badge moment on AJC Radio, a new segment that we felt it necessary to honor those that honor the badge who are truly heroes of our time. Washington Leo's rescues unconscious 11-year-old from burning car is what the title reads. A deputy and an off-duty police officer work together to pull the girl from the wreck. Pierce County, Washington, a young girl escaped with her life after a crash trapped her unconscious in the back of a burning car. It's all thanks to quick actions of two local law enforcement officers. According to the Tuila Police Department and Pierce County Sheriff's Office, the incident unfolded Saturday when deputies were called to a crash involving three vehicles. At the scene, Deputy Wiggins saw an 11-year-old girl unconscious in the backseat of one of the cars. He tried to open the doors, but they were jammed, shut due to the crash. That's when the car started to catch fire, the sheriff's office said. Officer Wiggins ran back to his patrol car for a fire extinguisher, while a bystander smashed in one of the windows and used a knife to cut the girl from her seatbelt. Officers pulled the child from the car moments before it became completely engulfed in flames. It was then that Officer Wiggins recognized the bystander as Commander Todd Rossi of the Tuaila Police Department. Rossi, a Pierce County resident, was off-duty at the time of the crash. Thank you, Commander Rossi, for your bravery in the community, where you live, and where we serve, the Sheriff's Office wrote. We truly appreciate your efforts to help save the life of this precious child. I call that a hero that honors the badge. Sapson, your thoughts when you hear about Officer Rossi here, I mean, moments, seconds before that car was engulfed, this officer uh,
4: became the hero that he's known of, known as today. But when you talk about, you know, um, police officers, the ones that are doing it right, like you – the word that always comes to mind is just selflessness. Like they will – you know, all first responders, but police, firefighters, EMGs, they rush headlong into danger. To save a life and that's exactly you know what commander rossi and this other officer did you know they knew that, that you know damage had been already done and it, i mean even the article said it was just a short period of time before flames engulfed the entire vehicle but the fact of the matter is is they saw a helpless child inside of a wrecked vehicle they saw a life on the line they saw a fellow citizen and they jumped in the action without a second thought of themselves
2: well, to Officer Rossi, Deputy Rossi, and uh, uh, the commander involved in this uh, rescue of this eleven-year-old girl, uh, uh, Wiggins, we give we give you uh, true respect and honor here on AJC Radio. As again, we as this topic tonight is about discretion, uh, the abuse of discretion. But for the officers that use discretion in a moment to honor the badge in which they wear and the oath in which they swore by. AJC Radio and the Just Cause organization says a very special thank you for your service and what you do. The last story, police officer saves toddler from drowning. Uh, This is by Tim Carlin, the Columbus Dispatch. Columbus, Ohio, one minute is not a long time. In that time, a person takes between 8 and 16 resting breaths. For Mary Geideman, one moment was enough time to realize her two-year-old daughter was missing from their Grove City, Ohio home. For off-duty Columbus police officer Brian Wilson, it was enough time to perform life-saving CPR on Guideman's daughter, Carmela, whose lifeless body had been removed from her home's backyard pool. On Saturday, June 19th, Guideman had just let her dog out to use the bathroom in the backyard and began working in the kitchen when she quickly noticed an eerie silence. Carmela is normally a quiet child, Guyman said, but the house was just too quiet. She immediately began searching for her daughter. Guyman noticed a slice of evening light peeking through the back door she had just let her dog through. She must have not closed it fully when returning. Running out the door, she leapt onto the wooden deck that surrounded the home above ground Swimming Pool. There was Carmela face down in the water. Guyman dove into the cold water, scooping out Carmela and placing her on the deck but she didn't know what to do next. She didn't know how to perform CPR, and Carmela's father, Stephen Lopez, was in Cleveland for the night visiting friends. Guyman felt helpless, so she screamed for help as loud as she could over and over again. At that exact moment, five houses down, Wilson was getting out of the car after returning home from a day-long canoeing trip with his family. He was an angel sent to us. Wilson... Guyman, heard Guyman's screams. The off-duty officer and his wife, Holly, ran towards the cries for help. They discovered Carmella and Guyman on the deck. Wilson said Carmella's face and lips were blue and he couldn't feel a pulse. He immediately began performing CPR. The officer of nearly 26 years said he'd performed CPR a few times before, but never on a young child. He said he couldn't have been performing CPR for more than a minute before medics arrived, but it felt like an eternity. Looking back, Officer Wilson said he wasn't sure if Carmella would live, but that didn't stop him from doing everything he could to save her. At one point, he said, I felt I was doing it for, for her mom. It was emotional, Wilson said. I have kids of my own. While Wilson worked to save Carmella Guyman was consoled by Holly, a thoughts raced through Guyman's head while her daughter's life was on the line. My heart just broke, she said. I felt like a failure. Over and over, Godman prayed to God, asking him to take me over her. Finally, Carmela vomited and began taking shallow breaths. The medics arrived and began conducting their own work to save Carmela, but one thing was clear. She would not be here if it wasn't for him, Godman said. Carmela spent two nights at a nationwide children's hospital for observation, but because of Wilson's quick action, she recovered completely. Uh, again, uh, Clint, when you hear that, Um, Officer Wilson saved this kid's life. And he's, listen, he's coming back from a a vacation with his family. He's not, heroes don't think about themselves first.
14: Yeah, and when we consider that the mentality, the type of person that takes on that public service mantle and shield for the public, that's a certain mindset. They have the opportunity to either be a hero or a villain. And to do that, uh, you know, irregardless it, it of who you do it for, this is my job. This is what I do. This is, this is how I live. Right. This is how I interact for my job. And whoever it is, if there's a need, I'm there. You can certainly admire that, that type of hero in the public. Well, to these officers tonight
2: that we have talked about, a very special thank you and AJC Radio takes a bow and thanks you for your service uh, in saving the lives and honoring the badge of our heroes. moment tonight. We thank you so very much. Uh, AJC Radio will be right back as we continue our discussion, transparency and discretion in our criminal justice system. We'll be right back.
11: Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? Or visit a-justcause.com and click the Donate button. A Just Cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall.
18: Here are 50 white guys. Here are 50 black guys. Here's how many white guys can expect to go to prison in their lifetime. The chances amount to 1 out of 17. Now here's how many black guys can expect the same thing. The chances are 1 out of 3. Why? Lots of reasons. It's complicated. But one thing is clear. There's racial bias at every level of the criminal justice system. When blacks and whites commit the same kind of crimes, blacks are more likely to be arrested. Once arrested, they're more likely to be convicted. Once convicted, they're more likely to be longer sentences. Look at the numbers in America's so-called War on Drugs. About 14% of American drug users are Black, as are about a quarter of drug sellers. Yet Blacks are 34% of the people arrested for drug crimes. And those convicted of drug crimes? 46% are Black. By the time we factor in sentencing, there are actually more Black drug offenders than White ones in state prisons and in federal prisons. In the end, the incarceration rate for drug crimes is 10 times higher for Blacks than it is for Whites. These are the facts. Racial disparity in America's war on drugs is one big reason that one out of three black men can expect to go to prison in their lifetime.
19: Congress
11: shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech
19: or of the press Or the right. Of the people, peaceably.
11: To assemble and to petition
9: the government
11: for a redress of grievances.
9: How often does our justice system get it wrong, convicting innocent people of crimes they did not commit? A new project by the University of Michigan Law School and the Center for Wrongful Convictions at Northwestern University School of Law tries to answer that question. In the last 23 years, more than 2,000 people have been convicted of serious crimes and later exonerated, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. By far, the largest segment was almost 1,200 defendants falsely convicted because of large-scale patterns of police corruption, generally in drug and gun cases. Of the remaining 873 defendants exonerated, nearly half were wrongly convicted of murder, and of that group, 101 were sentenced to death. On average, it took more than 11 years for a conviction to be set aside. Why does the justice system get it wrong? In homicides, the biggest problem is perjury and false accusation, most often by supposed eyewitnesses. False convictions in adult rape cases are primarily based on mistakes by eyewitnesses, while false convictions in child sex abuse cases are often for fabricated crimes that never occurred. 2,000 exonerations may seem small in the nation with more than 2.3 million people behind bars, but there are far more false convictions than the report contains. Most false convictions are never formally challenged, and those convictions that are successfully overturned receive little or no attention from the media, according to the report's authors.
17: Almost every day in the news, we hear stories about innocent people who are returning home after spending years in prison crimes they did not commit.
11: What you may not know
17: is that their problems don't end once the limelight fades. For many, wrongfully convicted individuals don't receive a penny for the injustice that they've faced. Take the case of Floyd Bledsoe. He spent 16 years in the Kansas prison for murder and rape he did not commit. And while Floyd was eventually exonerated, he lost everything, his family, his farm, and decades worth of income. Unfortunately, Floyd's story is not unique. Kansas, along with 17 other states, doesn't have a law to compensate wrongfully convicted individuals for the injustices they've suffered. And in states with compensation laws, many of those are woefully inadequate. We owe it to all the men and women in all 50 states to provide fair compensation to those who've suffered these injustices. Join me in urging our lawmakers to do the right thing by the wrongfully convicted. Go to InnocenceProject.org to find out how you can help.
2: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight. As we have been talking about transparency, the abuse of discretion within the criminal justice system, we've talked about many issues here where the abuse of discretion has run rampant. Uh, The opportunity to give officers such discretion has created a huge problem in our criminal justice system, not only with police officers, with uh, prosecutors as well as judges who, using that discretion and abusing that discretion, has cost our criminal justice system in ways we can never, ever uh, recover from. Uh, And it's a bad situation. The culture of our criminal justice system has has fallen off the rails. And tonight we are looking, how do we bring resolution to that? Uh, the first step is to recognize that there's a big problem and attack those problems head on, and we're hopeful that uh, that will happen. Right now, I'm very honored to have Jared Adams, uh, He's the author, attorney, co-founder of Life After Justice, uh, and he's going to be joining us now with this conversation, with this dialogue, and we're anxious to hear his, pers- his perspective, perspective uh, on this very important topic. Mr. Adams, are you with us?
7: I am. I am. Thank you guys for having me on.
2: Thank you, Mr. Adams. We appreciate it uh, uh, for you joining us. Uh, and we're going to be definitely respectful. I understand you, you're on the clock uh, and we're going to honor that uh, to the last second. So we appreciate you taking time out of your schedule uh, to join us. I don't know how much of the show you've heard so far tonight. Uh, give us your thoughts on, on on the discretion issue. We're addressing the abuse of that discretion uh, and and what are we doing, and introduce yourself to our listeners, and I'll give you the floor to do just that.
7: All right, I appreciate it. And again, um, I thank you for having me on. Uh, I have been listening. I'm, I'm sitting up here at my desk finishing up uh, a brief I'm working on, and another innocence claim, and uh, I was listening. I mean, and, you know, a, a lot of what the brief that I'm working on has to do with, you know, investigators, and, and, and authority, and discretion, and, and not just discretion, but people who sit idle and watch the discretion not be used correctly as well. Sure.
3: Um, yes. So
7: I, I, I say, you know, my, my thing is this, well, I'll first just say this. So my story, um, in the elevator pitch, if I can ever give one is I'm 17 years old, falsely accused of a rape wrongfully convicted sentenced to 28 years with the help of the Wisconsin innocence project, my conviction was reversed, but I had served almost 10 years in prison. I came home when I was 26 turning 27 years old, um, mad at everybody. Uh, my family got me into, into therapy. Um, I enrolled in school. I graduated with my associate's degree, bachelor's degree, law degree, and then I clerked in the same 7th Circuit that overturned my conviction.
1: Wow. I
7: um, afterwards went to New York, took past the New York Bar, and I worked at the Innocence Project in New York for two years almost, about roughly two years until I started my first firm in New York in 2017. Um, I now have an office in New York, Chicago, Milwaukee, and I'm working on a um, fourth one uh, next year out in LA. Um, and we founded a nonprofit to help tackle the issues of wrongful convictions as well, because I mean, it's just not enough people on this side doing the work.
5: I mean, it's yes. just
7: all innocence projects have a waiting list that is ridiculously long and it's only just, it's just, you know, it's just so many people. So we created the organization life after justice in the spirit of not just doing wrongful conviction um, cases, but to also help men and women um, with the tools and resources necessary to repair themselves once released. So that's, awesome. that, that's I appreciate it. And that, that's pretty much who I am, what I do, but you know, to, to to piggyback on the conversation, if If you, you know, if you are providing people with the type of training that, you know, gives them nothing but uh, training on how to hammer things as opposed to screw things, you're going to have more things hammered than you have screwed. And and, and I, I say that to say this. How much of the training in inside of these police departments and inside of investigators departments, how much of it is on de-escalation as opposed to get the suspect, apprehend the suspect, shoot the suspect, put him down, save lives, go you know, so it's 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 the ideology that needs to change within these departments.
3: And so yes.
7: until we have until we have that, because training is nothing more but repetition, and repetition is the father of learning. So if you are training people and teaching people that suspects look a certain way, uh, that's why you're having the results that you have. You only hear about the cases, you only see about the cases of African Americans and people of color being pulled over for a traffic stop that escalates into someone losing their life. And a lot of that has to do with, again, what are we training people? What are we teaching people? And what we're teaching people inside of these departments is we're teaching people that suspects look like me and you. You understand what I'm saying? We're not. Absolutely. We're, so the slogan of, I feared for my life, that didn't just come out of a grab bag. It, it came as a result of the, the the law of immunity and the shield of immunity. So and, and if we're talking about having... A real reform conversation. We can't have that type of conversation without reforming the budget that provides the training. It's the only way it'll work. You can't. And and then there are, there are there are certain things that you just know aren't going to work when it comes to discretion, right? And right. One of those things is this: How likely is it for the person? who did something wrong to investigate himself and hold himself accountable for the wrong that he did. It's not likely. Right. And so until we find a way to, to 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 put these separate entities in place, these separate unbiased entities in place, we will never have the checks and balances that result in better police and community relationships. It's just not going to happen. It, it, you know... Everyone was up in arms when they heard the slogan of defund the police, defund the police, but no one took the time to, to ask, what does that really mean? And what that really means is maybe we should shift the amount of money that we keep spending on hammers and spend more money on screwdrivers because we keep hammering everything. Right. So right, I, right. I just, you know, listening to the conversation and the many points that you guys were making, and as I'm doing this this brief, it's just, it's just you guys were having a conversation about the same set of facts and arguments that I'm making, and this case is over 20 years old. So what does that say to us? That says to us, if you don't agree with defund the police and you don't agree with what I'm saying, you have to agree that this shit ain't working right now.
2: Oh, for sure. And Mr. Adams, we'll send a, a bill... Uh, as a result of us right, helping you with that uh, brief, uh, w- w- we'll send you a, chat, a, a bill to <laughs> us. To, uh,
10: <laughs>
12: an invoice. An, an invoice
2: on that
10: to uh,
12: uh, get
2: that. But I'm, I hear what you're saying. And, and, and let me say this, Mr. Adams, really quickly. Uh, a great deal of respect uh, for you fighting uh, out of a situation that you were in and to reach the level that you have reached of success. Uh, and to give back and to get your degree, I'm telling you a lot of people don't have the uh, the, the i guess the persistence or the drive uh, to do that and I'm sitting here looking at your your bio here and and the the fact you you came out you hit the you hit the floor running uh, that's yeah. what we need that's what we need and i was i was i chuckled a little bit on this it says uh Mr. Adams then started as an attorney with the Innocent Project in New York in twenty sixteen. As an attorney in the litigation department, Mr. Adams earned one of his first victories as an attorney exonerating a man in the same Wisconsin prison in which you served Indeed. time. Uh that's that's awesome, man. That that is that you're talking about giving back and not forgetting those that were there. How did that how did that make you feel to do and accomplish something like that? I mean,
7: you know, look, it, it was a, it was a, you know, it's one of these things when you still kind of pinch yourself a bit, you know, to to see that it's real because it doesn't happen that often. But you know, I I'll say this as, as much as you know, as much as I, I I you know had envisioned it being something, you know, where it's like ribbons falling from the sky, and I'm back in the courtroom, and that's just that that wasn't the case. But what it did confirm to me was this um we are not our stigmas that have been attached right. to us you know we are not people's perception um and and perception should ne- people's perception should never become your reality and the perception of me uh you know going through uh you know convict okay uh not a convict but still was in there um where i could be where other people could be passionate I do the same thing. I'm crazy because I've been to prison. So it's like you you think about all of this and you think about the perceptions and you think about reality. And what it did for me was this. It confirmed for me and I pray that the work that I'm doing confirms for other young Black boys that people's perception of you never ever should be your reality. And so I I go through this and I say this. It it wasn't you know It it was it was one of these things where I was there to do a job, but I kept daydreaming because my co-counsel was Keith Finley. Keith Finley was the professor at the Wisconsin Innocence Project who argued my conviction that was ultimately reversed. So not only was I representing someone and reversing their conviction, I was doing it with the guy who reversed my conviction 10 years to the month that I was released from that Wisconsin prison.
2: That's awesome. That's absolutely awesome. And uh, Mr. Adams, let me ask you this. And if you, you've heard our conversation, uh, the abuse of discretion by officers.
11: Uh, we
2: talked about yeah. the Sandra Bland situation. This woman is in town, uh, just got hired at a new job. She's excited. Uh, she changes lanes, uh, which people, I don't know who hasn't changed lanes without using a turning signal at times Exactly. Uh, in traffic. She's dragged out of her car. Uh, the, the audio of that event was horrific to hear, and yeah. he's on top of this lady. To, books are in county jail, and they would like us to believe that she's going to be released, probably on a personal recognizance, uh, probably, uh, because it's a traffic ticket. That's all it is. Uh, but she yeah. leaves that jail in a body bag with the belief yeah. or the wanting us to believe that she took her own life. Now, yeah. what is what is your thoughts on that, Mr. Adams, when you see these things, George Floyd, Sandra Bland, uh, Philando Castile, these people dealing with what they have dealt with, but they are lives that have been lost senselessly as a result of discretion simply being what made an officer look at Sandra Bland, change a lane, and say, I think I'll get her. My discretion is to get yeah. her. Give me your thoughts on that, Mister Adams.
7: Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's just a—it's a disgusting thing to think that, you know, uh, a young lady who should have been given a warning or not even stopped at all um, was taken into a police station um, as a result of, you know, failing to hit a signal, and you know, this goes back to again, you know, what is what is the what what's the what's the atmosphere? What is being um, talked about? What is good policing? What is justice? You, you understand? That's, that, that's, yeah. that's the thing that, that needs to be discussed and, and maybe needs to be clearly defined to folks because it, it's obviously not registering with certain people that, you know, your, your job as, as authority, and let me, let, me, let me make sure I don't, you know, not say this. I tip my cap to all people who are in law enforcement. You have a difficult, tough job. I would never sign up to do it, so I commend you for the job that you do, and I acknowledge that it is not easy, and more often than not, you just want to do your job and come home. I get that, but as in all professions, including the professions of lawyers, judges, and doctors, and stuff like that, we're we're talking about people. So we got good people, we got bad people, we got people who need to be trained, people who are listening, people who are just roles. And so we have to do a better job of getting rid of those folks. This this officer who pulled her over and allowed this thing to escalate to where it was, I, I bet your bottom dollar, he has never been trained on de-escalation tactics. And if he has been trained, it was simply impassive. And so you, you, what do we do? The reaction to that should be exactly what, what it should be, which is we need to go in and examine and figure out how do we create precedent? Type of, of of strategy and training to keep this from happening. Unfortunately, we will never be able to bring back Kendrick. We will never be able to bring back George. And I pray to God that at some point we stop allowing ourselves to only get involved after it becomes a hashtag. We have to, Absolutely. we have to e, e, This is, you're talking, we know, and I know personally because I know the attorney that handled the Sandra Bland case. That wasn't the first time that this that this department had had been accused of, of of fishing for drivers who are black while driving through the area. So so if we have these numbers, if we have these statistics, you know, why aren't we we listening to them? Why aren't we going in? Why why are we continuing to tell folks who are screaming in agony and pain? that it ain't that bad. It's all in
2: your head. Right. Right. Well, oh, I agree with that, Mr. Adams. And I think, uh, David, did you have something for Mr. Adams?
15: Yeah, this is Dave Banks. Uh, uh, thank you for coming on the show, Mr. Adams. Uh, you are also dealing with some people here who are wrongly convicted, uh, myself mm-hmm. included. Um, and we went through the entire federal court process, um, and to say we watch an abuse of discretion and outright violations of the law is is an understatement. Um, at the prosecutorial level, uh, and even at the judicial level, you see the, the term broad discretion, If and I'm sure you've seen that uh, consistently mm-hmm. in your, as far as uh, the court's uh, opinions and things of that nature, as far as precedent is concerned, the stuff we we witness going through uh as far as an abuse of discretion it, it appears what it solves that that you you can't hardly get uh an abuse of discretion even looked at seriously by uh the the actual courts or, or even the appellate courts yeah. like it's like well they have broad discretion to pretty much do whatever they want to do and there's always seems to be some sort of yeah they did that but it was harmless uh while while you get uh shuttled off to, off to prison uh what is your your uh your thoughts concerning uh the discretion especially of prosecutors and judges given the fact that we have so many vague laws uh that are on the books that that empower these judges to do whatever they choose, and prosecutors to go after whoever they want to, and pretty much shop for a law that they can that they can put the screws to you on. Uh, have you yeah. seen that in the courts as, as well as uh, with prosecutors?
7: No, every day. And brother, I commend you on what you've been through and what you survived through. Um, but I see it every day. And my, my thing about this whole thing is this: um, when you when you look at when you look at the advancements of you know technology, infrastructure, science, society has accepted all of those because they benefit, you know, everyone and you know you can see the benefits. So in terms of qualified immunity, discretion, you know, these laws that are keeping authorities and people of power from being held accountable, the argument against changing any of that has always been well, you know, that's the law and all. That's the Constitution and all. If our forefathers would have then maybe they would have written in and stuff like that. So you have to ask yourself, why is it that we can customarily accept all the advancements for the phones? for example? We, we used to have pay phones. We, we, we then went from pay phones to cell phones, but the cell phones weren't what they are now. Right, We went from the cell phones that were long as your leg and the antenna was as long as your arm and you would screw it in. And if you had a, had a little bit of money, you, know, you, you, you might have one of the ones you put in your car and it looked like a, like a Batman briefcase or something like that. But then we evolved and now we have smartphones and we've accepted all of this. But somehow we haven't accepted that there are nearly 900,000 black men incarcerated and we don't even make up that that nearly nearly anywhere, the percentage of the makeup of, of males in and in, in people in general uh, in, in the U.S. But somehow we don't see that something in the law, something in our criminal justice system needs to be accepted and allowed to advance to figure out what the problem in, is and fix the problem. So what that means is, and, and that's my long-winded approach to say this. Not everybody is being hurt by the criminal justice system. You got a number of groups and a number of people who are benefiting off of it monetarily, maybe position-wise, so they have no desire to accept the advancements in the science that we now know where youth, right, they they are prone to do stupid stuff from a certain age to a certain age, where the science says that a, a person will maturate out the propensity to commit crime, yet we have a bunch of kids with life sentences and we got a bunch of elderly people who have been serving sentences forever and they are not being released. That's because somebody's benefiting off this thing. So what we really need to do, if we really wanna get down to the bottom of all of this and figure this out and see how to to stop it, we need to follow the money. Where is the money going, right? Because if these are taxpayer dollars coming from the government, state government, federal government, if these are taxpayer dollars that are being used on these prisons, we need to figure out where the money is going. And then we need to follow that money and connect it to the votes of legislation that is coming down, right? Because because there's no other way to explain why we still continue to have this draconian prison system when the science and the data and the psychology field and the mental health therapist and everybody is saying, look at the numbers. Change this. So here's my answer to how we a- actually are able to implement this change. We got to start with our babies. And we got to save these kids so these kids can grow up to be the professional, responsible
15: replacements to the oppressors of justice. You know? No,
2: very, very good point.
15: Yeah, and uh, I w- I'm going to, this is Jay Banksy. I'm going to give one quick note uh, of an example of. Um, just something that was so heinous that happened. I don't know. You've been practicing law for a little while now. Um, when's the last time have you ever heard of a transcript, a portion of the transcript, based on a judge's statements disappearing? And those are the only things that disappear in the transcript. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen some funny business with the with the transcripts.
7: Yeah, if that's what you're asking. Absolutely.
15: Yeah, absolutely and, I have. And this is the type of stuff that you can never hardly get a redress on. And the courts well uh and I'll give you an example in our case there was a sidebar where the judge compelled us to testify. Now, it's interesting about our case, we went pro se against the federal government because our, our uh, attorneys were trying to sell us up the river. Um uh, during a side during a sidebar, the judge, uh, one of our witnesses didn't show up. He was a law enforcement officer. He he didn't show up according, and he was subpoenaed to show up. The judge wouldn't enforce the subpoena, and then she told us if we don't uh, if a if we don't agree to testify because a witness is missing, uh, then she's going to rest our case. This all happened during a sidebar. Now, this yeah. obviously, uh, it forced us to take the stand. Uh, we knew something was wrong with it, but we didn't feel like we had any choice at that particular time. Uh, then all a bunch of excuses came around where the transcript ra- was. The judge says she couldn't remember what she said. She didn't know exact, what her exact phrasing was, but she didn't tell us anything. We tried to resolve the issue through the transcript. And... All of a sudden the transcript disappeared. We got excuses from the clerk's office and everything. Everything went about to protect the judge. So there's another element to the criminal justice system concerning, okay, why, uh, where the system is so stacked and so crony that they could not possibly have an instance where they were gonna allow this judge to go down, uh, and they, they they talked about the abuse of discretion in that particular matter, and then uh, the transcript. I'm just telling you the, the wild story that came from the appellate court uh, was, was was things of, of, of comedy. And as an African American, we could not get any resolution on that particular case. And I, just, I have you seen as much of that in in the in, in the judiciary, as well as the prosecutor level.
1: Man,
7: have I? Look, it, you know, I can go through many examples, you know, of, of you know, where, you know, things go haywire and, and it ain't by accident. And, you know, even when, he, you know, the prosecutor or, or prosecuting office themselves acknowledge that there's been a mistake, they still have hell get in the court you know, to do the right thing, and 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 this is this is the thing about about the system needs a whole entire do over, right? And the reason why I need to do over is because so many things within the system, um, when it when it was you know uh, uh, put in place, uh, and it you know for people who who may have or may not have seen and the thirteenth. It does a great depiction. It's a documentary. It goes, it, goes, it does a great depiction of how, you know, jail, prisons, and all of that derived out of slave catchers and, you know, the, the day and age of slavery and how, you know, if someone was, a, you know, slavery was abolished, but that little small print said that if you were arrested, you know, you could be uh, put in prison and made to enforce labor and stuff like that. So I, I, I say all of this to say this. You know, the reason why we continue to have these disproportionate effects on minorities from the criminal justice system was because they were the empty chair at the table when the justice system was created, right? They were the empty yep. chair. No one was there. So think about this. I could point out many different things to you, right, that go along to the point that you're making. So, who the hell thought it was a good idea that if somebody's accused of a crime, They're innocent until proven guilty. Uh, And all you got to do to bond out is put up, you know, your house, right? That sounds like a good idea when everybody making it has damn houses. But that ain't a good idea when black and brown folks and immigrants come over here and they don't have anything, right? Right. Nothing. So then you you follow along that same accord, right? So if a person doesn't have the means to bail out and fight, you know, on, on his own behalf from being out, the numbers show you people who are unable to bond out are more than likely going to be found guilty or plead guilty because they're just ready for it to be over with. That's an issue. Here's one of the biggest issues that, that needs to be tackled. So they say that we are entitled to a juror of jury of our peers, right? And they say that the definition of peers means that you know, if you have a minority group on the jury pool, and a minority is being tried, that's a jury of his pool. Of, that's a jury of his peers. Well, let me tell you how that is a warped perception of what the real reality is, because gender has been inclu- included in uh, the minority subcategory of our constitutional and the rights in the rights that we have. Because of that, we've allowed a system that will put an all-white jury and charge an all-white jury to make a decision on, on minority, Black, you know, Hispanic, Asian, American, Indian, on, on race, ethnic, different groups. And when you have that, you have a clear, clear loophole in any due process and fairness for people of color who are... Going to jury trials, right? It's clear, but no one has addressed it. And, and and if you do address it, everyone's response to it is, no, well that's just the way you know the Constitution. And you know, listen, the Constitution is a living and breathing document. It's 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 heartbeat every time the Supreme Court interprets a new case. So th- these are things that need to be addressed if we're really trying to fix it. And if they aren't addressed, that means there is a strong body that does not want fairness and equality in these systems. We go to answer your question about the trial transcripts, about the judges, and about how, you you know, the house scene has fixed the cards in your case. Well, you know why, brother? Because you tell me another closer relationship than the, the courts, the prosecutors, and the police. The only other relationship that I can think of that is that tight is a doctor, a nurse, and I don't know, maybe another anesthesiologist or or whatever it is. So when you have that type of working relationship, it it blurs the line of someone being able to do their job without thinking that, damn, I'm going to see this other person on another case. I got this person in the trial tomorrow, or I got this officer, or I got this prosecutor, or this court reporter, or this judge, and I don't want to mess this judge up judge might not have me back in the court so there's a number of different things that allow our system to continue to be unfair and these systems and these things perpetuate the unfairness in our system
2: no absolutely right mr adams and i think your perspective uh on it is clear it's cut it's just cut and dry this is what we're looking at and these are things that people don't want to talk about But like you said, if we don't fix it, the culture gets even deeper uh, into this type of behavior. And as you know, when culture sets in, it's one of the hardest things in the world to break. Uh, It's difficult. It's very difficult. Mr. Adams, what I'd like to do, uh, to David's point in that case, I'd like to send you some materials. You're very busy. I know you are. I'd like you to review some of the stuff known as the RP5 case. Uh, just to take a look uh, your perspective tonight and, and clarity that you've given to this discussion. Uh, I believe you can give some clarity to that. Uh, you've seen it. Yeah. Uh, the, if you wouldn't mind me sending some information to you, I'd love you to take a look at it. I'd like to get your thoughts on it. Um, the RP five is one of the most horrific, uh, miscarriages of justice that you will find Uh judge. H. Lee Sarakin, former judge, uh, uh actually wrote a, article in the huffington post regarding this particular case uh he's the i'm he's familiar the, with that case you are familiar with I'm it familiar.
7: I, let me tell you i'm gonna tell you guys uh, uh some history you probably don't know so olivia hodges right you guys know olivia right yeah yes, yeah so so when i was coming through law school i think i was going out of coming to my last year or or something like that olivia reached out to me and, and told me about this case years ago when those guys yeah. are still incarcerated, so there is another example of a, a, a system that believes more in finality than they do in justice.
2: That's exactly no, right. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Uh, Mr. Adams, we're gonna we're gonna definitely touch base and talk offline. Uh, we are against the clock for your time and that you've had with us. I'm so glad Olivia uh, made connection with you those years ago, and it's amazing how things come back around for whatever purpose and for whatever reason. But it's been an honor and a pleasure uh, to have you on our show uh, and you're welcome here anytime. Uh, and I, I'm very interested uh, in what you're doing and the cases that you're doing and the, the organization. I do understand that you do have uh, a book coming out, Redeeming Justice, uh, releasing I September do. 14th. Uh, we're going to post that on yeah. our website. Uh, and tell our listeners to go pick up that book. Because if it's anything like this conversation uh, that we've had tonight, uh, I think people are going to love it. And uh, we're going to definitely push you to hear on AJC radio. uh, And uh, hopefully that, that brings some happiness to you there. Yeah,
7: absolutely. And um, I I most certainly uh, would love to come back. I appreciate you guys. I appreciate the conversation because you know, the conversation is, 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 is much needed. Um, And again, you know, we, we, we're gonna have to focus on the youth right now who are, are losing their lives in each city across America to census gun violence. Um, you know, they're they're you know, they are they are the the, the key to leaving this place um in the condition that you would want your descendants to enjoy it in. You understand
4: no, absolutely. what I'm saying? Someone absolutely
7: someone took care of of this place. Someone got us to where we are, so we need to, to to keep it up, maintain it, and deliver it to our descendants to carry it on. I appreciate you, brothers. God bless you all, yes. and I'll be in Thank touch. Thank you. Okay?
2: Thank you, Mr. Adams. Enjoy the rest of your evening, and uh, uh, be safe out there. And we look forward to talking to you again.
7: All right. Take care. All
17: right. Take care.
2: Well, there you have it, uh, Mr. Jared Adams. Familiar with the case of the R.P. 5 uh, he was going through some things. This, this, this gentleman has somehow about coming up the ranks and coming up, uh, they used to call it the, uh, the school of hard knock. Uh, this would qualify. Uh, Ten years uh, he spent, uh, and he was free, but he came out doing something. Uh, William, when you hear Mr. Uh, Adams talk, uh, the passion he has, uh, and to hit the ground running, as I use that terminology with him, is crystal clear uh, that he's about making a difference.
3: Your thoughts on this, guest? Absolutely. I mean, he hit the ground running. And,
12: you know, he's on a mission. He's on a mission to do something. He learned from his experiences, as, you know, and there's those that are out there need need a voice. When he said the Innocence Projects Across the country, a backlog. You know, when you when you hear that, that is fucking amazing. They need help, but here's the difference: he came
16: out
2: in spite of the backlog of a system. He was the clerk for the for the court that actually convicted him. Uh, uh, excuse me, he was a law fellow uh, under Honorable Ann Claire Williams of the Seventh Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals. So he was a he was a fellow there. Uh, and, and and he reversed a conviction of someone he was incarcerated with, uh, <laughs> that, that speaks volumes. I'm telling you, that speaks volumes. You're talking about giving back, and to go work for a judge on the Court of Appeals of the Seventh Circuit, out of prison, it doesn't get better than that. Working it from within. He's doing what he needs to do. And you gotta love it. Go ahead, Clint.
14: Yeah, you, you gotta respect Jared Adams, uh, Esquire. Uh, very respectable because most students that go through the system, they become trained by the system, their philosophy changes, they become inundated with that mentality. And you don't hear that with him at all. You hear him standing tall, uh, fighting for. Advocacy for defendants and it's, it's, it's much to be lauded.
2: Well, he is, um, he, he never became institutionalized, and that's the terminology that is used on the inside. Uh, when one simply accepts the conditions and where they are, but they become so institutionalized they are unable to function uh, outside of that institution of the prison system. Uh, a very special thanks to Mr. Adams for his work, for what he's doing. Ladies and gentlemen, please go and get uh, this is a few, a couple of months out, a few months out. Uh, his mem- memoir, "Redeeming Justice," uh, release date September 14th of this year, 2021. Uh, I intend to get that. I would recommend to anybody uh, that is dealing with issues or, or the story of redemption, of overcoming situations Uh, in Circumstances, to go get that book. Redeeming Justice, release date, September 14th. We will have that posted on our website uh, up until the release of that book for Mr. Adams. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio. As the discussion has gone, uh, time uh, has gone even quicker. Uh, We're going to come back, finish some more discussions on this. Abuse of discretion, uh, criminal justice system in disarray. How do we fix it? How do we come back from it? Uh, Mr. Adams gave some solutions, will the country to do it? This is IJC Radio. We'll be right back.
19: The United States houses more human beings in prisons than any other country in the world. This is true whether you're counting total numbers or in relation to population size. This wasn't always the case. The number of prisoners in the US began to rise dramatically in the 1970s. So what changed in America compared to other countries? While there are several competing theories, a look at the data reveals that a significant part of the prison growth in the last 40 years has been driven by the war on drugs. Here's the data. By 1980, there were over 315,000 prisoners in state and federal facilities. 57% were violent offenders, 30% were property violators such as thieves or those convicted of fraud. 5.5% of inmates were in for public order and other miscellaneous offenses. And the remaining 7.5% were nonviolent drug law violators. Ten years later, the drug war had grown, and the total American prison population had more than doubled to over 740,000 inmates. The proportion of offenders in each type of crime had also changed dramatically. The most growth occurred in the non-violent drug offender population, which grew to a significant 24%. And this last statistic actually understates the influence of the drug war on prison populations. Many studies have shown that drug prohibition causes violent crime by leading to the formation of gangs and cartels. And thus, it is safe to say that the number of violent criminals under prohibition is higher than it would otherwise be. From 1990 to 2000, the drug-driven population growth continued. By 2000, the total prison population had almost doubled again to over 1.3 million inmates. And by 2010, the prison population was up to 1.6 million people. The growth has started to settle and even decline in recent years, but the proportions of offenses are retaining their post-1990 levels. America's unique methods of enforcing drug prohibition seem to parallel its unique prison population. And one has to ask, is our country really better off with so many nonviolent drug offenders behind bars? Are drug users likely to be cured from addiction by being locked up? Has locking up dealers and users lessened the demand for drugs? Certainly, the effects on overall usage could not be called a success. And yet we spend billions every year on this war and lock up hundreds of thousands. Surely there must be a less costly approach to addressing drug use in America.
15: Let me tell you who to blame. Blame the boy lying at your feet, his body oozing life through the hole in his stomach where the bullet tore him apart. Blame him for challenging you, for not looking away and for not backing down when you pulled out the gun. Blame your mother for bringing you into this world when she was but a kid herself and for dragging you up, not bringing you up. Blame society for not giving you hope. Blame your father for not being there. The man who looked after himself instead of looking after you. Blame the gun in your hand for making you a target, for making you more likely to be picked on. Blame
5: the dead boy. Blame your mother. Blame society. Blame your father. Blame the gun. Blame anyone but yourself for not being strong enough to put down the gun to break the cycle.
1: I wish I was in school. If only I had a math test today.
11: Or a book report to give. I wish I was in school. I'll stay after class. I'll
1: clean the chalkboard. I'll do extra homework. I'll skip lessons. I wish
4: I was in school.
1: I wish I was
4: in school. I really wish I was in
6: school. School ends, but free lunches for your kids don't have to. Find your local food bank at feedingamerica.org slash summer meals for help. Together, we're feeding America.
4: Did you know that over 1.5 million children in America have parents who are incarcerated?
11: These children cope with the pain
9: through drugs, alcohol,
11: anger, and violence. It
18: is
9: so important. So important. it is so important for communities to provide preventative and intervention services. Don't make them do it alone.
18: Become a part of the community. community.
10: community. Become a part of the community.
2: Back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight is we have been honored uh, with the presence of Mr. Jared Adams, attorney at law, uh, a remarkable story this young man has uh, uh, being wrongfully convicted at the age of seventeen, sentenced to 28 years in a maximum security prison. Uh, he was then uh, done ten years of that sentence before his case uh, was overturned, uh, and he was uh, on the path on the journey, uh to fight injustice and he's doing just that and a special thanks again to him uh, for joining us uh remember he has a book coming out we will remind you and, and as well as posted at the website um redeeming justice release date september 14th 2021 and i'm looking so forward to reading that uh a very very uh, uh good guest uh he gave a i think gave a lot of information uh in a, a true perspective from the inside out um
4: and what he's gone through, and I think you can hear that in the language, Samson, your thoughts on that well, I mean, just just like reading the um some of the narrative on the outside of the book where he talks about you know from defendant to defender like that in and of itself, and then you hear the passion that he speaks about i mean he's been on literally on both sides of the fence on this one, and so to get his perspective not only on the show but now you know the book uh coming out september 14th i'm not gonna lie i went to amazon during the break and already pre-ordered that thing i'm i'm interested with it, as much as he had to say during the limited time that we had here on the show what is he going to have to say between you know uh, the bindings of that book so um he is definitely i mean he serves as a great example of like what you can do once you set your to task you know he witnessed injustice he was wrongfully convicted he was put away for a decade as a as a youth now he's out Fighting for those, you know, going, like you said uh, before, going back to the exact same courts where he was uh, exonerated, going back and fighting for, you know, fellow uh, fellow inmates that were wrongfully convicted, going back and, like, putting in the work, getting his degree, starting up multiple uh, law offices across the country, helping as, you know, a, a nonprofit. I mean, he is doing everything that it takes. He's doing the leg legwork to get this fight going the direction it needs to go to help people that are wrongfully convicted, to help change um the narrative and to actually institute change within our criminal justice system.
2: No, 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 definitely so. I didn't know you could pre-order the book now. I intend to do the same tonight. I would recommend everybody uh, to take a look at this book because for someone to be and and speak to the discretion abuse, I'm telling you, in a 10-year period behind the wall, you've seen some things. Uh, Dennis,
3: yeah, I mean, it was, uh, I really enjoyed uh, every all the comments that he made. Uh, he can truly say that he, he's the type of guy that you would say been there, done that. Uh, he talked about, uh, you know, qualified immunity and and how how that affects the system. And just it was just amazing to when we were talking uh, to him, he was actually working on a innocence project. Uh, so it tells you what type of man he is, and, and that he's truly. Uh, uh, fighting against this system, try to make, make, you know, make it right. And he says, start with our children. And, and that really hit me too. You know, let's get, get our children straight, you know, so that, uh, you know, we can finally get this thing fixed.
2: No, absolutely. Right. And then these are things that we have to pay attention to. Um, and then one thing I get frustrated with is every time somebody dies, uh, as a point of a killing, Uh, we always say, well, we need to have a talk. We need to have a conversation. We need to have action and a change of behavior uh, in order to uh, see things clearly as what they should be. Uh, That's important, and we have to take a look at those items as well. Um, So, um, Dave, your thoughts on the guest? He was really an excellent guest, which was really fantastic,
6: and I like that his Life After Justice uh, advocacy organization, the executive leadership of that organization are all exonerees. So they know when they're fighting for somebody to go through and uh, that need to be exonerated, that they understand what those people are going through. So, so you have so much that they've done uh, to exonerate other Uh, other incarcerated people, and you have that situation where there are so many people that are in prison that have had the justice system go after them, come after them, and put them
2: in a place where they shouldn't be there. No, 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 absolutely right, absolutely right, and and look, at the end of the day, uh, the criminal justice system, whether you want to believe it or not, is divided racially, That's where it's it's divided, and it's divided right down the middle, white and black, and that's why we wanted to talk about the the disparities in the system, uh, like we talked about, Uh, and I think, Dennis, you brought the article up where you had an African-American, and you had a white person that committed the same crime. One got two years,
3: years. another got two.
2: The white guy got two years, the African-American received 26 years. Or the exact same crime. Uh, that's a problem. And that is a clear picture of racism within the criminal justice system. If you have racism within the criminal justice system, I can guarantee you right now, there are no fixes. There's no, there are no fixes. And like uh, uh, Mr. Adams said, there is no change without a, addressing
5: the core problem.
2: And if I can't be equal... In a court of law, with judges that swore by an oath, by prosecutors that took an oath, by attorneys that took an oath to do the right thing, we have a sincere uh, and a serious problem. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and we're going to play a clip real quick. I want to get your thoughts on it. Um, And it was a debate dealing with racism uh, in America. Nobody wants to have the tough conversations. We have to have it. In the George Floyd killing, switch, reverse the races. What happens? Does the African-American get the maximum versus Derek Chauvin will do 15 years and could have been doubled on on the sentencing based upon aggravated circumstances? Does that affect if Mr. Chauvin was black? And this was a white person that died. What type of justice would we be talking about? And would there had ever even uh, been any question? Many would have called for the death penalty. Many would have said first degree murder, period. And in a great possibility, could have gotten it. Absolutely. Absolutely. These are discussions you have to have. These are discussions you have to have. Let's play the clip.
3: I was reading an article the other day that stated that there are more black men in prison today than they were slaves in 1850. I'm going to roll the clip of Cornell X and Matt Patrick again doing their little debate on Foxy and Houston. You go ahead and roll that.
10: A recent report by the U.S. Sentencing Commission shows that over the last five years, African-American men have been getting longer prison sentences than white men. And that same report says men getting longer sentences uh, are getting them longer rather than women. While it does not address why judges hand out the longer sentences, Attorney General Eric Holder said last week the numbers disturb him. Speaking in New York, Holder said it's time to ask fundamental questions about our nation's criminal justice system.
11: So tonight, the Face Off guys
10: address their own question about who should really address This issue
5: of disparity. Well, Matt, many in this country are angry with the Attorney General Eric Holder for standing up at a convention and telling the truth. He said that there's a problem in America with its criminal justice system when statistics show from the Department of Justice that black men who commit the same crimes as white men get sentenced to prison longer than white men do. But that's not a surprise to any of us. We've always known in this country that racism has been dealt to black men and black people and people of color in the criminal justice system. That's why so many of us protest against and are angry with it, because only those who have the complexion
8: for the protection get the benefit from the criminal justice system. You know what? Eric Holder should be in jail. And quite frankly, we'll take a couple of those black adults, those black men that you're complaining about, take one or two of them out. Let's put Eric Holder in jail because that there's a guy that deserves to be in prison. But how do you know? How do you know if a judge is racist or not? You know what, Quanell, if there is a problem and I wouldn't disagree with you that it certainly seems as though black adults seem to be spending more time in prison than whites. We've heard that before. But why doesn't somebody do something about it? Eric Holder should be in prison. He's got Russell Simmons, Kim Kardashian, Lil Wayne. You know why nobody pays attention, Cornell? Because those people, no one's going to listen to. They're entertainers.
5: Matt, whether you like it or not, the facts present the facts, And the truth is, Black men are being sentenced to prison much longer than white men for the same crimes and same criminal background. At the end of the day, that is racism.
8: Okay, that's what the I only was, thing okay. that's the root of it. All right. Let's assume you're right. Let's just say you're right. Eric Holder, no one's going to listen to because that guy should be in jail. Kim Kardashian, Little Wayne, Sharpen. Get somebody man. talking about it that people can believe. Quite no, Matt. See what you all want. What you all want is some
5: pacified, stiffified homogenized, over fried leader to say what you all want to say about the subject matter, so you all are not threatened. At the end of the day, black leaders should stand up, Hispanic leaders, and white leaders who, who believe in God and the truth, Let me tell you and something. tell America this
15: is wrong. You don't you threaten don't me. I don't listen to because you they're because they are strictly screaming at me.
8: You can threaten me all you want, but you. It's not going to make me pretend you. you. Let me tell you, you something. White, men, white you men are being sentenced less than black men. Those are the facts. Let's do something about it. Okay. About okay. Okay. Then get somebody to stand up that I can listen to other than Eric Holder, Kim Kardashian, and Lil Man. Wayne. We are not going to allow you conservative Tea
5: Party members to tell our community who should speak for our community. At the end of the day, everybody should speak the facts. And the fact is, there's racism in the criminal justice system, and black men are being sentenced disproportionately than white men. Something must change. That, whether you like it or not.
2: Well, there you have it. And let me tell you something, right now, folks. As heated as that debate was, that's as heated as it is in this country. Around the conversation of racism, the point is, and it goes back during Eric Holder's days as, 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 the, as the Attorney General. That's why they're referencing him. Uh, he is the other gentleman saying, "Okay, we agree with that, but why is Kim Kardashian, Lil Wayne, and these guys talking about it?" Guess what? Anybody that wants to talk about it should talk about it. Uh, Kim Kardashian did do something. Uh, very effectively uh, during the Trump administration, uh, in getting some people released from prison, uh, and apparently she had something to say uh, that that made a difference. Dennis, your thoughts on that?
3: I agree. Uh, again, uh, she worked uh, uh, getting a lot of people out that she, were some of them, you know, were in prison for things that they did. But still, she worked hard. She utilized uh, politics. Worked with Trump. Uh, to get people out, so that tells you that hey, well, no matter who you are, if you're concerned about justice and doing it right, hey, well, speak some, out. some
2: of the people she did get out uh, was influencing and in getting those folks out had been done severely wrong uh, in the system. So, I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen, this has been uh, informative without question tonight. Very special th- thanks to um, to our to our guest who again showed a lot of things that i'd like to hear Uh, mr jared adams uh, thank you so much for uh, coming on this show and being a part of this discussion until next time this is ajc radio signing off be safe america we'll see you next week